a strong affectionate word for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Affection based on admiration, benevolence or common interest, an assurance of affection, warm attachment, enthusiasm or devotion. Subject of today's video is in fact love. And as you can tell by the title, I say love is a verb, so it requires action. And I know in the grammatical sense, love is actually a noun, but I actually believe that it produces action. We all will agree to that. Love is an action. It produces action and it requires action to sustain. So on this episode of Consensus Pod, we will be discussing love, what it, the action it requires and what it means to truly work to preserve lasting relationships. You know, any chance I get, I am quick to tell anybody and everybody that the 80s and 90s were like the best decades of all time. Now, I say that because I was born in 88, so of course I was born on the foot end, uh, the back end of the 1980s, and anyone who was alive during that time and old enough to remember the culture was completely different than it is now. Um, the art, the entertainment, movies, everything w that was produced was classic. Now, uh, we did have a couple of seriously uh, catastrophic events that happened in the 80s. We had the emergence of crack in the inner cities and the rising of addiction rates. But that's not what this episode is about. We'll talk about those up that maybe next episode. Um, and the 90s, of course, was a continuation in many ways of some of that uh, artistic excellence. Now, I will say this. I do think that the introduction of gangster rap uh, killed hip hop in many ways. It took it from something that was fun and, um, you know, artistic and creative and turned it into a music genre that promotes something that none of us should find entertaining, the least of all us black people, and that is black death, the misuse and abuse of black women, the incarceration rates of black men, but I digress. However, what was also prevalent in the 90s and the 80s was the notion of love. We had the best love ballads that were written ever and sung in the 80s and 90s. Um, I grew up on the likes of Aaliyah, Genuine, um, SWV, Total, and of course, one of Total's fate, my favorite songs of Total is Kissing. And then we saw love displayed everywhere between husbands and wives in entertainment. We had sitcoms and shows that <clears throat> that centered around, you know, a complete nuclear family structure and it, without the dysfunction that you see promoted today. There were no uh, adulterous affairs in those relationships. Husbands loved and adored and honored and cherished their wives and wives loved, honored, cherished and respected their husbands. Children were, saw this and, you know, it, it produced in them a sense of security and happiness. And from the love that their parents were able to give to each other, they were able to combine that love and give it back to the children. And the children were able to reciprocate and love the, their parents in return. 
But we don't see that anymore. We don't, at least of all, among heterosexual couples on reality, or not on reality TV, on TV period. What's been replaced has been, um, we've replaced the wholesome, loving husband, wife, um, nuclear family, heterosexual in the entertainment industry with a dysfunction that is embarrassing to anyone, regardless of sexual orientation. We see cheating men and uh, angry women and sexual promiscuity and all that. So that's promoted in mass today, which is why my kids are not allowed to watch a lot of TV. And what they do watch, we heavily monitor anyway. So on this episode, I thought that I would start uh, I would dedicate an episode to the thing that we all say we want, but we don't necessarily know how to produce, or if we do know how to produce it, many of us are too lazy to actually do the work and contribute to its growth. See, that thing, love, requires action, and it requires commitment. It requires, um, even on those days where you don't feel like getting up and being loving or your spouse is not, and I'm talking specifically between husbands or wives on this episode, there is going to be a part two to this uh, where we talk about loving towards your children. But for spouses, some days you guys are going to disagree. Sometimes you're going to not get along, but that still means that you love that person. Now, when we talk about love, we're, we may, for those of us who grew up watching uh, love be displayed between husbands and wives on television or even in our homes with our parents, we may well understand what that means. But for someone who didn't, for someone who's only got what they, uh, with their sold and dominant culture to go on, I'm going to tell you, throw that away. Throw, And I'm telling you that because what you're being told is a lie. Not every day is going to be your husband bringing you flowers and cars and telling you he loves you. Not every day. I mean, he might do that and that's nice, but that, that, those little gestures like that are not even uh, acceptable anymore. And I think cards and flowers are a very nice thing. If that's what he, if that is his, as we call it, love language, his love language is in expressing through romantics. But what the dominant culture would tell a woman to expect today is that a man who loves her is supposed to be taking her on trips and flying her out of the country on the first date. Um, <laughs> and that's even before marriage. Now, I don't know what where we get all this crap from. Um, and this why I say I'm highly against the high value man movement and the, uh, what is it, the opposite? The opposite one is that, of course, is the feminine energy movement because to me, what these things are is a continuation of the human potential movement, and it doesn't lead us anywhere. If you really want to know what it means to love somebody, I say we look back decades before the 1960s and find out how it was done then. Love at that time was expressed in companionship. It was expressed in your total dedication to your spouse, your commitment to your vows, and your honoring of those vows, your uh, being that support system that they need, you being that friend that they need, you uh, tending to their needs and pulling your own weight in the relationship and giving yourself in total servitude to your spouse. And that went both ways, regardless of what feminists 
have tried to make it, marriage at that time was a two-way street. It wasn't what we've been told that the man was just at home with his feet up demanding to be treated like a king and the woman was Cinderella, you know, the overworked servant girl who had no freedoms. That's not what that was. Feminism has lied to many women and made them believe that marriage was the death of all things, um, of all freedoms for women, and that's not the case. However, in a in a institution such as marriage, there are going to be requirements, there are going to be expectations, and you can't if you're approaching marriage and expecting him to do all the work and not and continue to give and give and give and never receive anything, then you're not uh, marriage you're not marriage ready, and you shouldn't. I mean, I, I think that any man with any common sense would define you as not being marriage material. And the same can be said for men. If you expect her to come to the marriage table giving and giving and giving and never receiving anything in return, then you are not ready to be a husband and you probably shouldn't be one at all. Marriage requires sacrifice and so does love. Love requires you to put uh, the needs of the other above yourself. So as we say, love has to be selfless rather than selfish. And I think that uh, we would do ourselves a great favor if more of us would actually read the passage of Corinthians to talk about what love is, because it plainly sets out there, love is patient, love is kind. It is not It is not boastful. It keeps no record of wrongdoing and so on and so forth. Um, so basically the, the, the greatest description of love is in that, Bible chapter, but we have to be willing to read it. And not only do we have to be willing to read it, we have to be willing to act on it and live uh, the passage as with everything else in the Bible. And um, of course, we know that this is a Christian-centered program. So if you want uh, to express and understand what love is, you need to understand that it is going to require some action. Now, I know the title, again, is Love is a Verb when it's actually a noun. But uh, when I say love is a verb, I mean love is an action. Love is a verb. It requires action. It requires you to get up and do something for this other person. And one of those things that you could do to show somebody that you love them is communicate effectively and respectfully with that person. Uh, listen to what he or she has to say. Consider them the way you want them <clears throat> to consider you realize that if you are in a marriage, you're supposed to be in this for the long run. And that is going to require a daily commitment, whether you feel it or whether you don't. Today's episode, keeping with today's episode, I thought that I would actually read the passage in Corinthians, kind of break down, give you my determination of what it means. Uh, love is patient, love is kind. Meaning for those of you that don't have patience in order to love, you must learn to be patient and learn to be kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. We know from other passages in the Bible that envy or jealousy uh, and pride and boastfulness are actually considered sinful. Actually, pride, uh, pride of the flesh and envy are two of the seven deadly sins. And we all know, um, or at least most of us know and understand why those particular sins are considered deadly. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not selfish. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So love is forgiving. 
love moves forward. If you're keeping a record of wrongdoing, you're holding on to something that happened in the past. And that is something that you need to let go of in order to fully love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So for protects, of course, the two of you have to look out for one another. You have to trust your spouse to have your best interest at heart and to protect and look after your you and your well-being. You hope that what you do for that person is uh, sufficient enough to, in the eyes of God and by the standard of marriage, to sustain the love that you two are building upon. And it always perseveres, meaning it always wins. And I find that last part to be uh, very profound because we have heard the corruption of that in society, love wins regarding other things. But the notion of love wins started here in Corinthians. Love always perseveres, it always wins. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and in prophecy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And this is the one that I really want you guys to pay attention to. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, of course, this also applies to women. I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. So love requires maturity. There are going to be times where the two of you uh, need to, when you get into these disagreements and you're not getting along, that you have to approach your problems and your disagreements from a place of maturity, because if you don't, what you're going to end up doing is adding to that record of wrongs that no one wants to keep. And you're, you're working against your own house. Approach your marital disagreements from a perspective of maturity, because what you have and what you are fighting for, what you are fighting to preserve matters more than whatever uh, the two of you are up against. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of faith, hope, and love is love. That is truly, truly a powerful thing. So if we're going to talk about the action of love, we're going to talk about those things in Corinthians. Of course, this is a Christian uh, podcast. So I would encourage those of you who are listening to this. And I think I'm going to wrap this up because this is a pretty, um, this is a good space to, to wrap it up. Remember that I'm going to wrap it up here, but I want you to remember what we read in Corinthians, what we discussed earlier and what, what I'm about to say now. And I'd said this before on a podcast. Um, I believe it was, you know, my five tips for surviving a anti-marriage culture. When the two of you are having marital disagreements, you need to remember that it is you and your partner together versus your problems, not you versus your partner. Too often we fall into this, uh, this, we fall on opposite sides of the same of the same issue. So we begin to battle our spouse and that doesn't do anything for us. Come to your 
disagreements from a place of love and see how that changes not only the conversations that you have, but how fast you resolve those issues and how the two of you strengthen that bond. And if that doesn't dictate the next disagreement you have, okay, well, we approached our last disagreement from a place of love. So if we approach this agreement, this disagreement and every other one from a place of love, then we'll get through things a lot faster and a lot better on them. We'll be better on the other side of this than we were before. I, we need that. We need more of that between husbands and wives. We need more respect. We need more commitment. We need more um, of a, we need more action in the area of love toward our spouse. And the Bible tells a husband to love his wife as he loves himself and as Christ loved the church. And it tells the wives to submit, honor, and respect their husbands. We really need to get into a place in a space where we're doing that. If not, our love won't persevere. Ladies and gentlemen, um, by now I know that everyone has heard about the Highland, the shooting in Highland uh, Park in Chicago and uh, all of this is tragic, but the story that I just read sticks out most to me and I would ask everybody to pray for the individual that I'm about to mentioned, and that is a two-year-old boy by the name of Aiden McCarthy. Um, Aiden was found by police wearing one shoe and asking for his mom and dad. The worst part of this is that his parents have been were killed in that shooting. Now, Aiden is two, and he doesn't understand what happened, and he surely doesn't understand why mommy and daddy aren't coming home again. So I just want to ask everyone to please keep little Aiden McCarthy in your prayers and um, let's just, let's please pray that this is not this kid's first memory because I'd hate for that to be his first memory. You know, your first memories as a child are supposed to be something joyful. You remember playing outside. You remember watching TV with your family. It's something that uh, you want to look back and reflect on. And I hope and pray that this is not that kid's first memory. That is horrible. What's gonna be horrific is when he's older and he comes to understand what happened to his parents, that's bad enough, but he doesn't need to remember that day, not at two. Not at two, that surely doesn't need to be his first memory of all things. Um, so let's please keep Aiden McCarthy in our prayers. Thank you for listening.